Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. So tonight we're going to be talking about confidence in the Word. And I want you to go with me to start with to Hebrews 11.1. 1. Hallelujah. Are you blessed tonight? Hebrews 11.1. 1. Glory to God. Hallelujah. It starts off by saying in Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In the Living Bible, it says, what is faith? It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. It is the certainty that what we hope is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it up ahead. Isn't that a nice translation? Even though we cannot see it up ahead. You know, when we're in faith, it's there. The answer is already there. Whether you see it with these natural eyes or not, you see it by the eye of faith. And it says, it is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. You know, and now in the spirit, we know that, that when we pray, when we believe God, it's at that moment that we receive it, it's ours. But faith keeps us going so that we, we just hang on to that word until we actually see it in manifestation. You know, in Hebrews 10, 35, it says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of word. The message, the Bible, you know, I looked this up today, and I thought, you know, it's always got such a, you know, wonderful little spin on things, because it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. And uh, it was kind of like when I was reading this, you know, they, he, they put in the message Bible, they put it in paragraphs, so you kind of go looking for this one verse. But, you know, I, I got, I went and looked, thought, well, that bears, that bears reading. And so I'm just going to start up, up for this verse that I wanted. It says, remember those early days when you first saw the light? Do you remember the early days when you first saw the light? Those were the hard times. Kicked around in public, targets of every kind of abuse. Some days it was you, other days your friends. If some friends went to prison, you stuck by them. If some enemies broke in and seized your goods, you let them go with a smile, knowing they couldn't touch your real treasure. Nothing they did bothered you. Nothing set you back. So here is that verse that we were getting to. It says, you know, over in the regular King James, it says, cast not away your confidence. Message Bible says it like this. So don't throw it all away now. You were sure of yourselves then. It's still a sure thing. Isn't that wonderful to know that? It's still a sure thing. We need to have confidence in the word of God. Confident that what God said, he meant. What God said, he's good to. What God said, he will make good on. What God said, he will bring it to pass. We need to have that confidence in the word and God's ability to fulfill the word. You know, and some people struggle because they don't honor the word of God. They've never seen it like it is. The infallible, never-changing word of the one who created the universe. The one who flung the stars into existence with his fingers. The one who said, let there be light, and light was. Can you imagine the same word God spoke? He has now given us the ability to speak that same word. And we should have confidence in the fact that we can expect the same results. Amen. 
But see, a lot of people don't have confidence in the word. And they don't have confidence in God's ability. You know, having confidence in, in, in something means you trust it. You trust in it entirely. You trust in it completely. I was, I was reminded of a scripture over in 1 Samuel 3 verse 1. And it says, it was talking about the word. It said, the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. The amplified version of that said the word was prayer and precious. There was no frequent or widely spread vision. And the Knox translation called it a rare treasure. The New, England, New American Bible says it was uncommon. Do you remember what it was like when you first discovered what the word really was all about? It wasn't just something your mama or your daddy made you read. It wasn't something your Sunday school teacher read to you out of. It was something that was alive. It was living. And you found out one day it wasn't some dead manuscript. It wasn't just something people hoped was good. That they hoped might help me. That it hoped might make my life a little better. But it was it was something I could count on, something I could depend on, something I could have confidence in. Do you remember what those days were like? If it's not that real to you now, it should be. But you know, when we get to a place in life where we don't have the same kind of esteem for the word, we don't have the same kind of regard for the word, we don't give it the same place in our lives like we once did, we take it for granted. It's, you know, for some of us, you know, we grew up in church. We got out of fellowship with God. And when we came back, we discovered something. It was like discovering something brand new, something we'd never heard before. And it changed our lives. And we could look back and see where we had been and where we are and go, wow, what a difference. But you know what? It's easy for you if you have been raised in church and you've been raised around scripture, you've been raised with the Bible, you've been, it's easy to take it for granted and to lose the kind of regard for it that it needs to have, to lose the esteem for it that it should have. Uh, you say, well, is that possible? Yeah, yeah, it's possible. You know, I, I see that, that um, you know, in, in our day, you know, growing up in a classical Pentecostal church, one of the reasons, you know, young people backslid is because they never saw the word in action that it was really real. It was never demonstrated as, as something that was real. I mean, you couldn't tell the difference in our lives as opposed to somebody else's life. I mean, we went to church, you know, all the time, and we were good people, good moral people. And, and you know, it just, but the word, it just didn't seem like it was that big a deal. And so we backslid thinking there was something better out there in the world. And it turned out to be lots of fun momentarily. Sin's always fun to start. But you know, the problem with sin is that it brings consequences that you really weren't counting on, that you really would rather not be, in, be having to deal with. But sin does that to you. It presents this picture of something like the grass is greener on the other side. And so we backslid. You know, unfortunately, you know, most of us came back. Not all did. But if you grow up in a church where the word's taught all the time, you can get to a place where you get so... Um, 
I don't want to say the word hardened, but you become so used to hearing it that it loses the reality of how valuable and how precious it really is. That's why people in churches like ours can get into sin. You go, oh, Pastor Angel, not in a church like this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It happens. Because they lose sight of the fact that this word is so precious that I don't want to do anything to demean it or to cast a, 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 a cloud over it. I don't, I don't want that, I don't want that to, to, to reflect on, on God or the word. Because the word is true. The word is good. The word is full of life. The word is important to me. It's so important that I will not cross certain lines. Because I know what the word says. See, that's it. You don't, if you don't spend enough time to know what the word says, you can cross some lines in your life because what he said about certain areas is not real to you. No, no esteem, no regard. It happens. It happens on a more frequent basis than I would like to admit. You know, if... Uh, if, if, I, if I esteem the word as, as good, as well, and as constant as I should, I would never be testy at my house. <laughs> but I'm not always testy by myself. <laughs> it's true at your house. If we really walked in the reality of it, how would we treat one another at home? If we walked in the reality, how, how would we treat our, our coworkers? If we really walked in the reality of it, how would we treat our boss? If we walked in the reality of it, how would we treat the guy in the car next to you who will not turn even when there's a big space open? And go, just go, please, just go. Get out of my way. I have that happen all the time when I'm trying to get out across cross 441 on, you know, coming up 202. And I'm thinking, how much room do you have to have for the, from the next car before you will get out there on that highway? What are you waiting on? <laughs> Anybody besides me? Okay. Um, all right. You know, if we walked in the reality of the world, but we're learning day by day, we're learning and we're getting better at it, I hope. <laughs> In all kinds of areas. You know, maybe, maybe, the, maybe you know, we, God leads us to, to, uh, to actually spend some time in, in this particular area. So we're working on this one. We'll get to that one next. You know, we're working on this one. I'm working on this one. Now I'll move over here. But you know what? That's the problem is sometimes, you know, we haven't spent enough time because, well, number one, we don't always like what we hear. We don't always like what we see. We don't always like what we read. It, it ouches too much. You ever been reading along in the Word? you got to go, okay, I don't really want to read that one. But once you've read it, you're responsible for it. Hello. Once you've heard it, you're responsible for it. What is that they say, you know, in the court of law? Ignorance is no excuse. Too bad, so is that. Listen, the word's kind of that way. You have it sitting in front of you in print, on your tablets, on your phone. You have access to it all the time. There's no reason to be ignorant of what's in the word. And the reason we're ignorant of what's in the word is we don't esteem it high enough that we spend time in it. But 
we're going we're gonna to go and have a, a, some, some, uh, some uh, instruction from the Old Testament tonight. But you know what? Our, even just, just with the word, you know, you, you can kind of put, you can kind of say, okay, you get two tunnel vision on just the word. But, you know, you can lose your value system where the things of God are concerned all along. It can be the word. It could be the fact that we are a local church family. You know, I, I, remember, I remember talking to somebody a long time ago, probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, and I uh, just met them for the first time and was introduced to them, and uh, it didn't take them about two minutes to inform me that they could serve God without going to church. I'm going, oh, okay. I thought, mm, wrong, but there's no point in arguing with you about it because you've already told me where your stand on that is. And so uh, we just went along. Now they changed their tune, you know, after a little while. And uh, that was a good thing. But sometimes we don't, we don't honor, we don't esteem the word that comes out, out of just what we read. We don't honor and esteem the word that comes out of the pulpit. We don't honor and esteem the word that, that comes from a fellow believer. We don't see what's valuable, what's precious. You know, God puts people in our lives that we should value because of the word that comes through them. You know, you can be casual with things. You can be casual. I mean, so many churches these days are, are, you know, their pastor is just Bill or Bob or Terry or John. You know, it's not Pastor John. It's not Pat. You know, I grew up in a church where everybody was brother so-and-so and and sister so-and-so. There was an esteem for the members of the local body, and I think we've lost a little of that. Um, And... The pastor was never referred to his first name. You know, I remember something pastor, my, our pastor said years ago, and he said, uh, the reason you call me pastor is, for, is, is twofold. Number one, it's so that you recognize the position God has put me in. And number two, I recognize the responsibility of the position God has put me in. There's two reasons, one for you and one for us. And uh, it's sad when people do that, when they call their pastor by the first name, because what it tells me is that they've brought him down to a certain level of familiarity that if he has to say that that's something that kind of goes cross-grain, they're more likely to just ignore it and not accept it for what it is, the Word of God. Not a man's opinion. If, If it's my opinion, you can take it and do what you want with it. But if it comes straight out of the Word of God, you cannot and be pleasing in God's eyes. You can't. You may not like the delivery person. I don't know. But, but if, it, if it comes straight out of the word, there's no ambiguity about it, then you need to esteem what it comes out, no matter who's saying it, whether it's your brother and sister in the Lord, whether it's your pastors, or whether it's a, a somebody else, a guest speaker, you know, whatever. You know, it seems that people have a, a tendency to be a lot more open to a guest speaker than they do the person who stands here week in and week out. Isn't that something? Hmm, okay. Guess it's not. All right. But here, you know, in Hebrews 13, 17, I, I wrote this down today because just the Lord just impressed it on my heart. And it's, it's talking about just, you know, your, your pastors, and it says in Hebrews 13, 17, it says, For they watch for your souls as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. 
Somebody who has to do a job with grief, with, you know, the one version says groans, uh, as in a hard task, you know, is that they don't do it with a good heart. You know, a pastor who doesn't have, you don't give them the esteem that they need, can't do his job. And when he's not doing his job, his heart's not in it. Philippians says, they are like men standing guard over your spiritual good. Try to make their work a pleasure and not a burden. There is nothing that brings joy to the heart of a pastor more than people who will take the word and actually live it. People who are doers, not just hearers, but actual doers of the word. Because really, I can, I can point out so many people in this room tonight you know, that I know what your life was like and I know what it is now. And I just see what a blessing. It blesses me to see you get blessed. Like when God ministers to you, like in a prayer line or, or just with, you know, maybe a guest beer or whatever. It just, it's a blessing to me to see you take the word and apply it to your life and just blossom. And so many of you have over the years just blossomed. You know, and that's a joy. That's, that's the pleasure that there is in it. There's a little bit of grief along the way. <laughs> but for the most part, it's a great joy. But what you stop esteeming, you'll disregard. And what you disregard, you don't honor. And what you won't honor, you won't have confidence in. It's a progression. You have to make a place in your heart and in your life for the word. You have to make a place for the man of God who, or the woman of God who stands before you and delivers a message. You have to make a place for God himself. And you know what? There's been a lot of disregard for the things of God in our society today. There's a lot of disregard even in the church. Suddenly, scriptures that are clear, it's like, no, that's not really, we're, no, no, we're, we're going to disregard that. We're going to, we're going to you know, we're, we're going to wave that one off. You know, just no, no, no. This is what God says about that particular cultural thing that's going on. But, you know, he doesn't understand because this is, you know, this is not the same culture that Jesus lived in. Listen, the word of God is still relevant to every society, every culture, every age, every age. So we have to continually make sure that we're keeping a place set aside for God and what he's got to say because he doesn't change. And fortunately for me, I think that's a great comfort to know that I can serve a God who never changes. I don't have to wonder, what's he going to be like today? What kind of a mood is he going to be in today? Did he get up on the wrong side of the bed this morning? You know, is he, in a, you know, is he willing to do this today? Is he not willing to do this today? I, you know, oh. No, God never changes. He is the same day in and day out. Hallelujah. But you bring things down to a casual level. What happens? It means that the power that God has available for you can't work. Reminds me of the scripture over there in James. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. It makes power available to you. But if you don't esteem it, if you don't regard it, it's available, but you're not putting it to use. Isn't it, it might be a really sad thing if we get to heaven and we look back at certain circumstances and times in our lives when power was made available and we didn't take hold of it 
And because we didn't take hold of it, God could not work for us. That's why he makes it available. It's so it can work. You know, don't ignore it. Don't disregard it. Just go, well, I, you know, that doesn't apply to me. Because sometimes God will say something to you because of somebody's effectual, fervent prayer that's going to go cross-grain to what you'd like to hear and you don't want to hear it and I'm not going to do it. Power was available and you chose to ignore it. Blessing was available and you chose not to receive it. You didn't put yourself in a place in the power line to to to. No, the power was working, and to see it in demonstration. He said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to change. I don't want to, no, I don't want to do that. I've done it. No, I don't want to. I mean, you know, there are times I'm just real honest. I don't want to. You know, I guess God appreciates honesty, but he doesn't appreciate my stubbornness. <laughs> he, just, he, wants us, he just wants us to do the word so he can bless us to the fullest extent. He's got so much more for us than what we have seen, than what we've experienced. You know, and sometimes it's because we're being not heads and we're not giving the kind of regard to the word that we need to. So anyway, in light of that, let's go over and see what this lady over in the Old Testament did. And I want you to see how she regarded the word. Go to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings Chapter 4. And I, I really, you know, in so many ways you go, okay, that's an Old Testament example. Yeah, if she could do this in the Old Testament, how much more should we be able to latch on to the things of God as new creation beings? For goodness sake. How much more should we be able to do that? Remember now, we read over in 1 Samuel, the word of the Lord was precious. It was rare. It was uncommon. The word of the Lord came through the prophet. And there's usually just one prophet in the land. At this particular time, it's Elijah. Now, so let's start in verse 8. And it fell on a day, I'm sorry, Elisha. It fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem. There was a great woman and she constrained him to eat bread. By the way, that term a great woman means a woman of great wealth and worth. And she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as often as he came by, he turned in to eat bread. You know, she said, come in and eat with us. And so every time he came by, he was, you know, he came in. He was, it became a, a habit. He was continually there. Anytime he was in the area, he, he came to her house. And she said to her husband, behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passes us by continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he comes to us that he shall turn in thither. Well, you know, obviously she had a great regard for him. I mean, she's number one. She, she noticed him. She had him come eat with them. She had him come every time he was in town. Come by. You have dinner with us. She was hospitable. I mean, she realized, well, you know, we could do more than just feed him a meal. We could make a place for him to stay. Isn't it, isn't it nice that we need to make a place for God to stay? We need to recognize God in our lives and make a room for him. She was a woman of great wealth and worth. When you read this, a small chamber on the wall, let's put him a table, let's put him a stool, let's put him a bed. There. You kind of think of these just little matchstick furniture pieces, you know, if you're not careful. I suspect 
that room was something to behold. A woman of great wealth and of great worth who recognized the value of this man as a prophet of God would have put the finest in that room. It wasn't threadbare. It wasn't second best. Sometimes we want to give God the threadbare parts of our lives. We want to make just enough, just enough room for him to uh, say that we made a room for him. But how well is that room furnished? Do we put everything into it that's of great value to us, that we see has worth? Or do we go, eh, so what? She honored him. She made a place for him. And so after a while, we go on down. It says in it, on verse 11, it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him, and she said unto him, say now unto her, behold, you've been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for you? Would you be spoken to for the, to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. She's basically saying, I'm fine. You know, know, what she was telling him was, I didn't do this for you for any other reason than that I esteemed you highly as a man of God. I did it simply because of that. You know, it's it's funny, but, you know, we we go around in a lot of different circles, and and, uh, it's it's easy to see people who... um, curry favor with big names because they want to hobnob. They want to be able to do some name dropping later. They, they, they want, there's something in it for them. They think that if they give, you know, a big offering to, to brother so-and-so who's a big, you know, here, that they'll somehow get in the inner circle. This woman had no motive. She just wanted to bless him because she understood he was a man of God. And because the word was so rare, the word was so uncommon, she was taking great delight in the fact that, that she had an opportunity to bless him. Oh, my heavens, that, that right there is so valuable. What an important lesson it is to, for us to learn. Just taking pleasure in the fact that we can be a blessing for no other reason, just being a blessing because we recognize the value of the things of God. Well, it goes on down here, and, uh, and he said, then he said, this is verse 14. After she said, I dwell among my own people, she's basically saying, I'm fine, no problem, I'm good, I don't need anything. I mean, here she's a woman of great wealth, and I suspect that, you know, in her country, because of her, of her position, her financial status, she probably already had access to the king. She probably already had access to people of notoriety in the land. She probably had, you know, social standing. So she really didn't need anything. I mean, you know, if she needed something, she'd just go out and buy it. So he goes down in verse 14. He says, what then is to be done for her? She's probably left the room by this time. And Gehazi answered, verily she has no child, and her husband is old. And he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, about this season, according to the time of life, you will embrace a son. And she said, oh, no, no, my Lord. You're a man of God. Don't lie to your handmaid. 
You know, it says to me, it says that this was something that had been a desire of her heart for years and years and years and years. And the years had passed. And now, you know, it was an impossibility. It was a dream that she'd buried so deep for so long that she never even considered it anymore. And when he said, what do you want? I mean, that's something that, that you know, as far as she was concerned, you know, it's, 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 that's, that's over and done with. There's not even a possibility of it. So, I don't, you know, I've just put it out of my mind. I don't even think about it. Didn't even cross her mind that something like that could be possible. It had been buried so long. See, I tell you what the Word will do. The Word will revive some things. It will revive some things. Things long dead. Things long let go of. Things that were deeply desired, but after a while, you just thought, it'll, it'll never happen. We'll, it, we just, you know, it won't happen. That phrase, according to the time of life, in um, verse 16... I mean, yeah, it says according to the time of life. In another place, it says when it revives. When it revives. He was telling her that her ability to conceive would revive. Reminds you of Abraham and Sarah, doesn't it? And so, in verse 17, the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life, it had revived. What he told her would be hers, was hers. You know, God can revive some things in us. There are some things that, you know, we've kind of let go of. We thought it's, it's useless to even, even consider it anymore. So for me, it's just best just to put it on the shelf and never even think about it again. That's not always the case where God's concerned. He doesn't always want you to put it on the shelf and just say, that's over. That's done. It'll never happen. I, I don't even need to even consider it. Don't even need to think about it. The fact is, I won't. And after a while, you just forget. You know, you've, you've done with it. We've been done with this for so long that you never even think about it anymore. But let's go on with the story. Verse 18, and when the child was grown, and I do not know how old he was, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head. And he said to a lad, carry him to his mother. I can't imagine how old he might have been when somebody says, carry him to his mother. And then, especially when it says that she, he sat on her knees. I mean, I know how big my boys are. I don't want them on my knees for very long. And it says, when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. Ooh, look at that. What did she do? She took him and put him in the room that she had made for the prophet of God. The place where her honor and her esteem had caused her to build, she took her son there. That's where She didn't take him to his room. She didn't take him to her room. She didn't take him to a doctor. She took him to the room of the place where the word had been spoken to her. Wouldn't it be lovely if people would come back to the place where the room, where the, to the room, to the church, to the local body that the word has been spoken to them before? 
You see people who, who get a miracle in their life and then you don't see it. After a while, they, they leave and they go and they go do something else. And they forgot where the word came from, where the room was that they found the word. The room was that they came and they got the answer that they needed. The thing that they were needed to be revived. They forget where it was. She did not forget. She went back to the place where that word was spoken to her and she laid him there. Hmm. And she, sent, she called her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, uh, Why are you going to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. All's good. It's fine. I just, she just said, It's important. It's just important. You know, I'll be back. So in verse 24, she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not your riding for me unless I tell you. I'm kind of paraphrasing this into, you know, Angela English. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to Gehazi, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Now, why could he look from afar off and recognize her? There's that Shunammite. Because he had a relationship with her. An ongoing relationship with her. Do you know how many times, you know, I go around and somebody, I'll run into somebody, maybe the story, and they go, well, I'll say, we'll get talking about church and, and whatever. Oh, yeah, I know somebody who goes there. I went, oh, yeah, really? Who? who? And they'll tell me somebody. I'm going, mm, no, no, I don't, I don't think so. Oh, yeah, they go to your church. I went, mm. They may have come once or twice, but that doesn't mean they come to this church. You know, just because you change the oil in your car a couple of times does not make you a mechanic. Just because you diagnosed a runny nose doesn't make you a doctor. He had a relationship, an ongoing relationship with her. Not a hit or miss relationship. Not just a once in a while relationship. Not just a, I'm here one Sunday and I'm gone for the next six. And then I show up for a service and I'm gone for the next three. She, he had a consistent, ongoing relationship with this woman. So when he looked out there, he go, there's that Shunammite woman. He saw her from afar off. And he knew who she was. He also knew she wouldn't be coming to him unless something was up. Let's go on reading. I like that part about recognizing her relationship, you know. It's so true. It's so true. I, I you know, I just, it, 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 it amazes me with the people who say, oh, yeah, that's my church. I'm going, uh, how come you don't show up at your church? Well, I, why doesn't the church do this for me? Why doesn't the church do that for me? Because nobody knows you. Well, I come. Once in a while you come. But if you're not here, nobody misses you because they're not used to seeing you. So if you're not here, they don't know. They're just out again. There are certain people that if they're not here, you go, where are they? Where are they? And other people go, oh, well, it's no big deal because they're never here. And they wonder why they don't have the same kind of relationship with the local church body that other people do. There's no relationship there. That's why. You know, if you're consistent in, in a relationship, 
You get benefits from that relationship. And when you're not, don't be surprised. Hello? You know, it's, it's kind of like the law of sowing and reaping. I'm on, a, I'm on a little rabbit trail. I'm so sorry. But I'm going to go on the rabbit trail anyway. You know, it's, it's easy. It has, it has, there have been times over the years when somebody's had a family situation and they could have used some help and nobody helped them. Nobody showed up to, you know, their sister-in-law's funeral or whatever. You know, and, and you go back and you say to them, they're mad about it. And you're going, well, whose funeral have you gone to? Did you go to so-and-so's mother's funeral? Did you go to so-and-so's brother's funeral? Did you go to so-and-so's? Well, no. Well, then why would they come to yours? It's not that, it's not that people just d- decide to ignore you. It's just they don't think about it because you're, those people are not in a relationship with the rest of the church body. It's important that you have a consistent, ongoing relationship with your church family and your pastors. In time of need, when you need help, they'll be there if you have that kind of relationship. Let's go on. I'll get off the soapbox. Okay. Uh, Let's see, where are we? Okay, verse 26. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. You know, another another version say, All is well. All is well. Thank God she do better than to say what the circumstances were. It would help us a lot if we sometimes just went to God and instead of, instead of crying and moaning and groaning and telling him everything he already knows and other people, well, how bad things are, there's a place for saying, listen, this is what's going on, but you need to follow that word up with, but the word says, but I'm standing on the pro- this promise. I, you can tell somebody and, and negate the, the validity of that problem by saying, this is what the word says. This is the promise I'm standing on. This is what I'm believing God for. Because sometimes you need, you need somebody else to come alongside you. You know, and get in agreement with you for something, great. That's fine. But there's a difference between that and just telling everybody all your woes. And mully grubbing, downcast face, victim mentality. There's a difference. The person who says, I, I, this is what's going on, and I just need just a little prayer support here. They're not going, they're not going to be going, oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. I just can't. They're not falling apart, folks. They're not falling apart. They're saying, this is what's happening, but I know what the word says. I know that God's going to turn this around. I know he's working in my behalf. I know the word works. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. She said, all is well. All is well. Never mentioned her son was dead. Never said a word about it. All is well. Anyway, she comes into verse 27. She came to the man of God to the hill. She caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to thrust her away. Isn't that something? Sometimes people who've got, who, who are determined to grab a hold of the word and hang on to it for dear life, other people go, oh, stop that. Just stop it. You're going overboard. Ah, but the man of God said, let her alone. For her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me and hath not told me. 
Then she said, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? He figured it out. What she was doing was she was reminding him of the promise that he had made to her, the promise that had been realized, the promise that had come into manifestation. She was reminding him of that. She's not something that she was going to let him forget. But what she was also saying to him was, you are the instrument that God used to bring this into my life, bring deadness to life. And I'm expecting you to do it again. The deadness of her womb came to life. Now the product of that womb was lying dead. She expected him to make that, th- make that boy live again. Then he said to Gehazi, gird up your loins, take my staff in your hand, and go thy way. If you meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute him not, answer him not again, and lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, I love this woman. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. She wasn't going to take second best. She wasn't going to take a parking lot prophecy. She wasn't going to take some, some little something out here or out there. You know, she wanted the man of God there. She wanted, she wanted the one who was responsible. You know, sometimes we'll come to church and they, and they get this little word from somebody. I'm, I'm not demeaning this by any means. Please don't, please don't misunderstand me. I believe God can put somebody on your heart. You can go to them with a word from the Lord. But there have been times when people went around trying to give words to other people. Listen, you need to make sure your word comes from the right source, from the main source, from the source that's supposed to be in your life. And if there's some addition to it, that's fine. But you don't go by what other people prophesy over you, what other people come to you with a word of God. You don't deal with a parking lot prophecy. I love that phrase. I heard that from somebody else, and I thought, man, that's really great. I love that. Hallelujah. She said, no, the Lord lives and as my soul lives I'm not leaving here without you. I'm not. You know, there are times you just have to get hold of the word. You're going to have to hang on to it for dear life. Because it is life. It is the only way you're going to have life come into a situation. If you to hang on and not give up. You have to be to a place where you are determined. I will not let go. I will. Until this produces, I will not let go. And she didn't. And Gehazi passed on before them, laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, the child is not awake. I'm telling you what, you better be careful. Who? 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 You expect results from. That's not what she wanted. That's not what God intended. The anointing wasn't on Gehazi. He might have had Elisha's staff with him, but the anointing wasn't on Gehazi. It was on Elisha, and she knew it. And when Elisha was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them, prayed unto the Lord. When he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands, and he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. 
Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro, went up, stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times. The child opened his eyes. He called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her, and when she was come in unto him, he said, Take up thy son. She went in, fell at his feet, bowed herself to the ground, took up her son, and went out. I bet you she went in there thinking, That's exactly what I was after. I got what I wanted. I'll take him. Thank you, sir. I'm good. That's a woman of determination. We need to have such regard for the word that we are determined to get anything and everything God's word has said belongs to us and hold on to it for dear life because it's exactly what it will mean to us is dear life. Her words were in line with her confidence. She stayed in a place of faith. She stayed in a place of determination. See, when people don't hold on to the word, they don't recognize the word as being their lifeline, as being their rescue, being their answer. They don't see it that way. You could, you know, anytime there's there's things, you know, coming to our lives, I'm, I'm a... I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person that when something goes wrong, my mind is already working on plan B. Okay, okay, how can we work this out? How can we get around this? Okay, if this, this doesn't work, what options do I have? I mean, my mind is just, just goes automatically into that kind of a mode. She knew where her answer was. She was focused. She was one-tracked. She was one mind of one mind. She was determined. She wasn't going to let go, and she went after it. And guess what? She got what she was after. Yeah, and people will sit sometimes in a service where their answer is, thinking, can't wait till this is over. Let's see, we were going to go do this today. Uh, yeah, when we get out of here, we're going to go do that. Uh-huh. I, I, I know of a church, you know, that uh, used to have morning, early morning service and then a later service, you know, like an 8.30 and a 10.30. And when they, they built a new building, they went to just one service. They had people get mad and leave. Why? It interrupted their plans. It interrupted their day. Because they, they were okay going to church at 8.30 because now I've got the rest of the day to do what I want. So when the pastor said, we're going to go to one service, they were like, ah, what? Now I can't go boating. Now I can't go to the football game. Now I can't do this. Now I can't do that. Man, that tells you what regard they had for the word. It interrupts their life. The word should interrupt your life in a way that changes your life. It ought to interrupt the direction you're heading, the, the things that you're thinking, the things that you're doing should interrupt them to the point that it changes it, not that it's getting on your nerves. I can't wait till this is over. I can't wait to be able to go do what I want to do. Hmm. Yeah. Come on, pastor. Say amen big. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. But if we don't regard that word, there will be promises, there'll be answers, there'll be rescue, there'll be lifelines that people never hear. Never hear. It's important that when you come into a service that you make a determination to make it your focus. Your focus. Not just being here filling a chair. Not just being here making your weekly appearance. I'm preaching to the choir tonight, but as I said before, the devil fell out of the choir. 
So you have to talk to the choir. But sometimes we come in with so much on our minds that we miss. We don't have enough regard for the word and for what's happening in a service that we will put aside everything else except what's going on right here in this room. There's where your answers are. There's where your lifeline, that's where your rescue is. We need to keep a, we need to be confident of what the word says and what the word will produce. You know, so many times I would go around and you're going down the street and you see this church, you know, it's got this little thing out for come as you are. <laughs> I just shake my head. On one, if you, if you mean that and as come in you are, like the song Just As I Am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. If you come to Jesus just like you are, he'll take you and make something out of you. But if you come with the attitude that we see, the, which is what's happening today, the coming short, come dressed any old way, come any old kind of frame of mind, come this, come that, come that, that means you're going to come as you are and you're going to stay as you are. Mm-hmm. You're going to stay as you are, you're going to be as you are. But to me, I came to be changed. Over in 2 Corinthians, it talks about the fact that we're being changed from glory to glory. But if you don't have a regard for the word that's being spoken, you won't come with the intent to be changed. You won't come with the intent for God to change your situation if there are problems, if there are situations that need changing. But when we come in and we're here to put a demand on the word, and we do like this Shinnamite woman. We won't let go until we have in our hands the thing that we're believing God for. If we're determined, we, we, we hang on to it with everything that's within us. We're going to get our answers. And then in the meantime, while you're getting your answer, you're being a blessing to somebody else who needs to see how it's done. They need to see it in action. It's one thing for us to talk about it. It's one, another for us to demonstrate it. I love the fact that so many times people come in and there are issues in their life and you could look at them and you would never know. I heard somebody say one time about another couple in the church about they never have any problems. They just got everything. Everything just goes great for them. And I'm thinking how little you know, how little you know about what they've experienced, how little you know what they're currently experiencing because they come in with their mind and their heart set on hearing the word, not letting it affect their outward disposition, the way they, way they partake of anything. They're here to hear the word and participate in a service. That's how we need to demonstrate that this works to other people. It would be a blessing to them. That's why it's so important for you to share testimonies of the way you've hung on to the word and how God has seen you through what God has done for you. What a wonderful example we see here from the Old Testament about a woman who had confidence in the Word, a woman who was determined. She had great regard for the Word and what a rich dividend it paid in her life, not once, but twice. Sometimes we, life is going along and we're just going along so well and, and we're, we're not mindful to keep the Word in the kind of place that it needs to be. Sometimes people will rock along until something happens and suddenly let's run to the Word. Listen, you need to keep the Word in that same 
place of esteem and regard all the time. Because you'll never know what the devil's going to spring on you. Doesn't it say that he is like a roaring lion? It tells us to be sober and to be vigilant. To stay on the watch. Stay on the watch. Be sober and be vigilant because he's like a roaring lion. He's going to take advantage if he ever gets an opportunity. And he's going to try sometimes. You need to be careful about that. I don't mean for you to go around with a Job mentality. Oh, the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me. That's not it at all. But you need to be sober. You need to be vigilant. Because there is an enemy out there who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he gets a little opening and something happens, don't fall apart. Just go, well, bless God. He's going, God's going to turn this around. The word works in me. The word works in my life. It works in my situation. It works in my home. It works in my business. It works in my body. It works in my bank account. He's turning this thing around even as I speak. You need to be ready to say that every single time something pops up. You know, it's kind of like whack-a-mole. Be ready. The word is your hammer, honey. When he pops his little head, bang, whack-a-devil. Okay? Just be ready. Just be ready. So keep the word in the, in the place that it needs to be. Keep your confidence in the word. God is a big God. He hasn't changed. The, the, the ability, the power that he's manifested, that he's put out, hasn't dimmed the, what, the ability he has left at all. We haven't even touched the resources of his power. So everything that he used up to make the universe, he still has all that same power. And that same power will still work in you, will still work in your life. If you'll do like this Shunammite woman, have confidence in that word and don't let go until you have what you're after. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.